when you get on a Zoom call with a guy, how many of them have a kid hanging off their neck? How many women do? And he's like, you're right. You know, you've always got the woman with the toddler and the kid and the cat screaming in the background and the parent, you know, can you come get me this? So what we found when we went back into the home is some of the old gender roles not only stayed, but were in fact reinforced. I'm Chris Hill, and that's Sally Krawcheck, the CEO and co-founder of Elvest, a bank and robo-advisor designed specifically for women. Women have different challenges in investing, including a wage gap and a longer life expectancy. Today, we've got a couple of conversations addressing some of those challenges. First, Deidre Woolard talked with Sally Krawcheck about the funding challenges for female entrepreneurs, how women invest differently than men, and a lesser-known savings tool for investors who want to give back. Welcome, Sally. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, I was excited to see that you recently raised a $53 million Series B funding round, and you had mentioned that two-thirds of your investors were female, which I thought was fantastic. What are you seeing in the landscape for female VC investing? Yeah. And actually 90% of investors in this round were underrepresented investors. So um, women, people of color, women of color, LGBTQIA. So we're really excited that you know, the work we're doing um, to help women invest is actually extending to women investing in Elevest. Um, what I'm seeing is a lot more money and women coming in at the seed and series A level. I'm seeing that women entrepreneurs outperform male entrepreneurs in crowdfunding. And unfortunately, I'm seeing a Series B cliff when it comes to women CEOs raising money, raising larger amounts of money that I think it's in part because you don't have as many women writing those big checks. Um, and so you just run into a little bit of a wall when you, you get to the bigger dollars. Despite the fact, by the way, that the research tells you that women-run businesses perform as well, there's research that says better than men-run businesses, startups. Do you find that the type of business uh, and women entrepreneurs matters? I, it seems to me that the bigger funding rounds I see seem to be very women-centric businesses, whereas other ones, uh, maybe not so much. I was literally having this conversation three minutes ago that there is research, you know it intuitively, and there's research that says that those businesses that are more traditionally um, female-based, female-oriented, are ones that tend to get funded. Put another way, if you look at the number of fintech businesses, LFS being one of them, that have raised more than, call it, $100 million in total funding, I think it's five, um, whereas there are dozens and dozens run by men. And so, you know, it's how we're socialized. When we think of startup CEOs, we think young man. And, you know, where we can sort of shift that to being women are things like, yeah, of course they understand, you know, food, you know, sort of clothing, makeup, et cetera. And, and I applaud them. I applaud those women. They're, they're doing tremendous things. I also hope that we can expand out um, the types of entrepreneurs that we're funding. Absolutely. Yes. Well, let's talk a little bit about socially responsible investing and doing well by doing good. I've invested for a long time. I'm starting to think about this more in my portfolio, but also struggling with that idea of balancing 
returns and ESG concerns. So how, how do you wrestle with that? I think your wor- you should leave that worry uh, behind. Um, you know, the idea that you, by definition, must give up return in order to invest in companies that are advancing women, companies that have strong governance, companies that are doing good things for the environment. Why is it that those things should cause a decrease in return? Why should it be the companies that are not diverse that have better returns? In fact, the research tells us it's, it's, it's the exact opposite. And I, it was true years ago when ESG investing was new, when it was all about not investing in X or Y company. Uh, but you know we've moved forward from that and, and the business, there's much more data around it. It's been professionalized. Um, and look, I would actually say to you, you're investing for impact today. You are. You just don't know it. One of the things that we're seeing, I think, is that companies are spending more time at least talking about ESG issues. Are you concerned in some cases that you're seeing a little bit of like greenwashing and and things like that? Yeah, but, you know, and I'm concerned that people talk about diversity more than they do it too. Um, And, you know, I'm concerned about all that. But what we can't do is wait for perfection in order to take action, right? We, you know, we should, we'll get more and more information over time Right. That, you know, as technology advances, as more businesses are formed about this, we'll be able, you know, there are more data sources now than they ever were. When I first got involved in gender lens investing um, with the Pax Elevate Global Women's Leadership Fund, at the very beginning, we're actually literally counting women. Right. How many women are in the leadership team? Let's look at the annual report. Um, is um, Alex, what, what, what do we think? Uh, what, what, what are we thinking here? What, Robin, what, what are we thinking here? Um, and now there are many more data sources. So the sunlight is the best disinfectant. You know, all of that will start to become clear. There'll be more information. It'll be, you know, right on our phones. We'll be able to see it. It'll take us to where, where we want to buy from, take us to what we want to invest in. But of course, people are going to exaggerate in the meantime, and you know, such is life. Well, at least the the exaggeration is at least means that there's the, there's focus on it and potential to 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 change over time, which I think we're at least going in the right direction. I like to think. Well, I hope so. Um, you know, because we we need business to help us change the world. That particularly in the United States, where you know our government is certainly not you know providing say, for example, the social safety net that we need and could use. You know, companies are having to step up and, and where the government is not perhaps taking as much action on the environment as we would like for companies to step up. So um, I sure as hell hope that companies are taking it seriously and stepping up because we really are not able to completely depend on government. Very true. You tweeted something recently that I thought was interesting, kind of connects to this idea, which is to stay involved with your money. And I think this is hard for people, especially for women. Sometimes we're great at the earning part, but the investing part, we feel a little less confident on. How do we shift that? Yeah. Well, the the reason we feel less confident is we have a lifetime of being told that we should be less confident. That articles written to men around money, 72% of them are positive and about expansion and growth. And it's all, you know, abundance. And so when men think about money, they tend to automatically go to power, strength, independence. For women, 
90% of articles are about scrimping and saving and how hard it is and how challenging it is and don't buy the latte and don't have the facial and you buy too many shoes and you're so flibber jiggity and and so women and and by the way they're you know rather than like oh there's a systemic issue it's called the gender pay gap this is actually literally not your fault instead it's like oh man if i just wouldn't drink the latte i i would be able to like retire so there's a lifetime of that and it's all about scarcity and so of course women they feel loneliness they feel isolation they feel uncertainty no wonder we're no, no let's combine that with the fact that we are told as little girls that we need to be pretty close to perfect you know you sit in class and the guys are running around the little boys are running around the girls are having to sit like that and don't get your dress dirty and you with girls when they don't get a's ah you know, oh no, oh no. And so we are pushed towards perfectionism at the same time we're being told that we're no good with money. Why would we want to invest? Why wouldn't we want to keep it in the savings account? And of course, the reason is because it cost us hundreds of thousands for some millions over the course of their lives. And our industry's response has been marketing campaigns to women. It's really only Elevest that stepped in and said, let us change the underlying product. For some of those to your, you know, in the intro, some of the realities for women that we have to invest differently because we earn less. We take more career breaks. We live longer. We have to take those things into account in investing that if we just think it's average, we could, we could fall short. Absolutely. One of the other things that I've heard a lot, which I'd like to explore with you, which is the idea that women are risk averse. Yeah. So I, we've, we've seen, we hear this all the time. Women don't like risk. Women aren't going to take risks. We're seeing it right now in, in cryptocurrency. Some of the, some of the surveys that are coming out are saying, you know, women, women are kind of missing out on crypto. What are you thinking about, about women? You missed out risk? on a big decline. <laughs> yeah, right. So, right about now. So look, what, what that actually does is there's a simplifying assumption there that, you know, that we, the industry, what we're offering is chef's kiss. And the fact that you women are not investing means that it is your fault and you're risk averse. What I would argue is that that is, there's, there's a difference here that may feel a little subtle, but it's important. Women are risk aware. We want to understand the risk that we're taking. And by, by that, it's how much could this go down? If I invest, you know, historically, what would my types of returns have been? How bad could it have gotten? Um, and so, again, that's why Elevest changed the underlying product to address that. And so Elevest was the first that said, you know, maybe it's not them. Maybe, maybe our industry, which is very um, majority men, built the business for themselves and didn't take into account some of these more subtle differences. And so once we, as we began to say, okay, you're risk aware, let us give you the information you need in English. Um, then we became the, certainly the first investing firm built by women to, to get to the size that we have. So you've got stocks, ETFs, all of that. Uh, what are you thinking about crypto and what about other alternatives, things like crowdfunding and things like that. Crypto, I think, has to date small part to play in a diversified investment portfolio. Um, that's not the way most folks are using it, of course, today. Most of there's more of a, some are investing, a number are trading. We're, again, not big traders regardless. So I think crypto, you know, can provide shorter history, but provide some diversification. You know, when you get into alternatives like hedge funds, Eh, not as big a fan. 
right? You know, are the hedge fund managers that much better than the mutual fund managers to be trading the same stocks and get better returns? The research tells us pretty much no. Where it gets, where it starts to get interesting are things like, you know, angel investing in women startup CEOs, um, where it is as, you know, forest management, um, which obviously can have such a positive impact, uh, where it's investing, you know, in getting, you know, the sustainable housing. Those things to, to me and to our chief investment officer are just, not only do they provide diversification, they provide direct impact. Um, and you just can feel great about, you know, you're able to, through Elevest, see what that impact is. Um, and so it goes from being theoretical to we rehoused X number of women, you know, in transition from, say, abuse relationships into sustainable housing. That, that kind of, like, to me, that's great investing. Are there are those nonprofits? Are there are there tax benefits involved with those types of? There things? can be um, not nonprofits. These are investments, and so there are returns to be made as those houses are fixed up and at some point sold, as as rent comes in, et cetera. So again, you go back to you know you can get you can earn a financial return while having a societal return as well. Those two things are not mutually exclusive, and also. You know, it all all good doesn't have to be done through nonprofits, um, and in particular, you know, for people who are giving their money away to nonprofits, we've had clients who realize they're giving their money because they want to go this way, but their investments are going that way, and so you know, their um, contributions, their nonprofit contributions, their investments can be working against each other as opposed to with each other. What do you think about donor advised funds and and uh, instruments like that? And that's I that's right on target. You know, again, we find we love them um, and find so many people are investing, not thinking about how that money that's sitting there to be given away, how it can have an impact before it's ever given away. And so they'll invest in well an S&P 500 or something as opposed to, you know, gosh, I'm really trying to find you know, I'm really all about water equity um, and I want to give the money away for that. And in the meantime, I may be investing in companies that are, again, the exact opposite. That sort of relates to another thing that I'm thinking a lot about, a lot about lately, which is the aging of America demographics. Seems like we're, we keep hearing about the great wealth transfer, not something that's kind of happening yet, but is going to happen in the future. And I think that has a lot of impact for women what advice do you have for people that are sort of stuck a little bit in that sandwich generation that so many of us find ourselves in trying to advise our, our parents and then trying to deal with, with those assets? Look, these, you know, these are very human, can be very difficult conversations uh, where women so often get stuck providing the care for both the parents and for the children. And if none of us really were attuned to it, um, the pandemic sure made it clear. Although it's get, it's sort of interesting to me how some people don't see things. I was on the um, on a call a few months ago with um, a fellow I used to work with and talking about how the pandemic had set women back um, economically and financially. And he was like, and how women actually are getting less promotions at work now. And he's like, what? I would have thought being at home would have been helpful. They could get more work done, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Okay, when you get on a Zoom call with a guy, how many of them have a kid hanging off their neck? How many women do? And he's like, you're right. You know, you've always got the woman with the toddler and the kid and the 
cat screaming in the background and the parent, you know, can you come get me this? So what we found when we went back into the home is some of the old gender roles not only stayed, but were in fact reinforced or doubly reinforced. Um, and so as a result, even those women who were privileged enough to work from the home during the pandemic just weren't getting the promotions and women, of course, lost jobs at disproportionate rates. So on the one hand, as the wealth transfer happens, women are going to be beneficiaries. Again, the, you know, we live longer than men do. So we will receive that money as our partners pass away. We, 80% of women die single. Um, we'll be the beneficiaries. Unfortunately, if we have outsourced management of the money to our partner, you know, 74% of women tend to have a negative surprise when the money comes to them. So we'll get it. It won't be as much as we thought. We'll get some money from the parents. Um, but you know, there's a price that we've paid for that, which is that that caregiver role um, that is, um, you know, sort of sort of been the way of the world in, in our society for too long. 80% of women die single. That that's an important underline there because that means that that we all need to make sure that we understand our finances, that we don't outsource it to partners or or really anybody else. No doubt. No doubt. And it's it's interesting. 80% of women die single. When they do, 74% have a negative surprise. That's not half. You know, it's not like, ah, you know, it's sort of one, six of one happened. Another, 74%. So something is happening there. And I think the thing that's happening there is women have been socialized. You're not good with money. And they're like, oh, thank God. Let me just leave it with him and I'll take care of this other stuff and I'm busy. But the other thing that's happening is he feels the pressure because society tells him that he is the breadwinner. He is the one who's supposed to be good with money. He is the one, you know, who tends to be over, more overconfident on money. So he's not telling, he's carrying the burden alone. Think about that lonely moment. Um, so she's left out, he's got the burden and neither ends up in a, in a good spot. Next up is Catherine Tuggle. She's the editor-in-chief of the website Her Money. And she's the co-author of the brand new book, How to Money. Dana Coral Casarda talked with her about some of the positive ways that stereotypes around women in investing are changing. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how that has shaped your relationship with money? It's a great question. I, I definitely don't have the uh, typical upbringing with money that I think a lot of people in New York have. Um, I am a mixed race woman from rural Alabama. I grew up selling vegetables on the side of the road with my grandfather. You know, we, we were middle class, I would say, but but saving money was everything. Um, so I got a lot of education about saving money, zero education about investing money, <laughs> but I am very thankful for, for what I was taught from an early age, which is self-sufficiency and saving. And also in Alabama, uh, you know, when I was a young adult there, I, I also taught, um, yoga at Tutwiler prison in Alabama, which is a women's prison in Alabama. And I have to say that this experience, um, made a big impact on me and that it deepened my passion for, for really fighting for all women, uh, especially marginalized women who are often intentionally excluded from pathways that would allow them to build wealth. Um, so I, th I think my upbringing overall has really made me very passionate about, about bringing 
spreading the word to all women uh, about uh, what it means to come into your financial power and what it means to have an understanding of your money and where your money is going. The sentiment is really that women are taught to budget and men are taught to earn. What are your thoughts on that, that message that we've sent to, to young people starting in money and even before? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's absolutely true. And, and this is the reason why her money exists is because women invest on average 40% less than men, which is frankly dangerous. We live five years longer than men on average. The gender wage gap means we're earning about 83 cents for every dollar that a man earns. So we're faced with that quintessential problem of having to do more with less. So the narrative that young women are taught, which is to save and budget is great, right? Like we all need that. Those are the building blocks, but women also have to be educated on how to make Make their money last. Do you think any of that has been influenced by the pandemic? Have you seen any trends or changes in the past couple of years? It's a great question. And I've been pretty encouraged with the data that we've see, been seeing post pandemic. We're seeing that women are actually taking more control of their finances. And we just did some research on this this month. Uh, it's a research done by Her Money and the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Um, it's our state of women survey for 2022. Basically, what we found is that women are breaking down stereotypes and taking control. 94% of women who are partnered said that they are engaged in managing their investments and they are engaged with their retirement planning. And previously, as we know, we had been seeing women, women were taking a back seat on those bigger picture financial aspects of their life. Uh, so it's been great to see that changing and women getting more into the driver's seat. And I have been thrilled with the positive reception that we've gotten, um, for our book, how to money, which was specifically written for young women. So just to see moms and aunts and grandmothers buying that for the young women in their lives has been so beautiful. In the time that her money has been around, has the way that they've spoken to women and given guidance changed yeah, we, we launched our podcast in 2016 and we launched our website in 2018. And since then, we've really seen a lot more companies, particularly Fortune 500 companies, pledging to end the gender wage gap and to have pay parity and to have pay transparency. Um, and since that time, we've also had the pandemic, which was terrible for women. It took more women out of the workforce. There's still 1.1 million women who have not reentered the workforce post-COVID. But I also think that the conversation is changing around workplace flexibility. I think more places are allowing remote work flexibility, flexible working hours. More companies have awakened to the need that women often have with childcare. So I do think we will come out of the last few years with more options for working than women have ever had available before. That's great. Very positive. I love the idea of, you know, women growing in that space. Studies have shown that women make better investors. What are your thoughts on that? I think my favorite studies have shown that women are less likely to see the stock market as a game to be played than men. And we're more likely to want to be investors for the long haul. Uh, we want to play the long game. We are generally better 
at taking a 360 degree view of our entire financial picture to really see what's going on and to see that road ahead. And to your point earlier, we're better savers. You know, being risk averse can be a negative thing if it prevents us from getting started on our investing journey, if it prevents us from ever opening a brokerage account in the first place. But the right amount of risk aversion can also be a really good thing if it inspires us to think decades into the future and to play that long game for our retirement. So it's graduation time. We just saw Taylor Swift give the NYU commencement address. If you were to give the commencement address today, what would you be telling new grads? It's hard to think of things that haven't already been said that don't sound trite just because I'm feeling so optimistic about the current hiring market. I'm feeling really optimistic about our interns that we've had at Her Money from the past few years. They're so bright. They're so much better than I was at that age. They are, they are so with it. They are so together. They are so organized. Um, and they're showing up to work fully and completely and wholly themselves. So I would say, don't let anybody diminish your light. Don't let anybody tell you that you should be doing something else or that you should think about doing something that you don't like to make more money. I was able to build a career doing what I love, which is writing. And I believe that people should boldly go in the direction of their dreams. Like I said, it's a great time to get hired right now. Put yourself out there. Give us a clever cover letter and I will definitely have you in for an interview. But I'm feeling really good about the prospects for this graduating class. Oh, that's so like heartwarming. I feel like I just graduated <laughs> so much, Catherine. This has been so wonderful. Thank you for sharing. I can't wait to uh, continue to recommend How to Money. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much, Dana. This was great. That's all for today. Remember, the stock market is closed for the Memorial Day holiday, so we'll see you on Tuesday. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Tuesday. Tuesday.